In the queer community, we seem to have an interesting love-hate relationship with dating and hookup apps. We love meeting like-minded people, but hate the social stigma attached to online hookups. Of the several queer dating apps available today, there is one particular app for gay men now worth around $200 million, Grindr. It's that app with the weird yellow mask logo, which according to its creator, Joel Simkai, is inspired by tribal art and represents our primal needs. Today's episode is a tale of twos, two primal urges, greed and desire, two killer cousins, and two gay Asian victims. At the center of this tale, we find that strange yellow app with over 7 million queer users. I am your host, Jeremy Wayne, and you are listening to Queerly Criminal, a podcast series dedicated to the discussion of crimes and criminals related to the queer community. These are the stories of Glenzer Solomon and Anwin, a discussion of how dating apps can become dangerous and even deadly, and what we can do to stay safe during online dates and hookups. Glenzer Solomon was an intelligent and hardworking man. Born on July 18, 1972, at the age of 44, Solomon had risen to the level of a nurse supervisor at St. Luke's Hospital in Houston by the time of his disappearance. According to relatives, the 5'4", 200-pound Filipino man was last seen attending a church event on February 16, 2017. That night, after Glenzer failed to show up for his overnight shift, co-workers and family members realized that something was very wrong. According to his sister Arlene, Glenzer, who went by the nickname Chubbs, was a responsible, routine-oriented person who would not miss work and would definitely not take off unexpectedly. He'd even called work that night to check in prior to his scheduled shift. When Arlene entered his home, she found everything seemingly in order. Although his bed was unmade, which she found odd, his house alarm was armed, and she noticed that only his phone, keys, and SUV were missing, a silver BMW X5 with the personalized license plate Chubby, C-H-U-B-E-E. Arlene used her brother's iPad to try and locate his phone, but his iPhone was offline and her calls went straight to voicemail, according to statements she made to ABC 13 reporters. For almost a week, family, friends, and the police were at a loss for Glenza's whereabouts and were worried about his well-being. But six days later, on February 22nd, his BMW, worth approximately $50,000, was found abandoned in a spring apartment's parking lot, where the SUV's last GPS entry pointed investigators to the apartment of two young men, cousins 18-year-old Brandon Lyons and 26-year-old Jared Allen. Although the circumstances were suspicious, no arrests were made at the time. Texas EquiSearch, a search and rescue organization based near Houston, organized an active search the following Saturday, February 25th. Volunteers, led by search coordinator Frank Black, explored the area near the car and apartments on foot and ATV. The body of Glenzer Solomon was found that day, although not by the search party. Instead, he was found by a man named Jonathan Kohlschmidt, who had been walking his dog in the area. Glenzer's nude, battered body was found under several pillows in his undeveloped wooded lot on the 2800 block of Hirschfield Road, where nearby residents seemed to discard trash and other debris. In this clip from ABC 13, Jonathan Kohlschmidt describes the circumstances of his discovery with reporter Kevin Quinn. Uh, Jonathan Kohlschmidt just walked up to us and said, hey, I'm the guy who found the body, so we want to get a, a sense from him just what happened on Saturday. Jonathan, tell us first, please, what you saw. Uh, I was walking my dog and I found a pile of pillows, uh, they, they were in a line, I thought nothing of it because there's trash anywhere laying around in this area and then uh, there were three pillows 
and I was just like, this isn't, this isn't, <clears throat> there's something wrong with it, and then I saw two body parts, the right, right hand and the left leg, left thigh, um, and, and I was like, um, I need to go alert some people so they can figure out what to do, um, I'm glad I was able to help in the investigation to find the missing person, and I send my condolences to the family that lost this individual. Most certainly. Now, he was underneath the pillows, you say? Yeah. All right. So All it, it appeared that the pillows had been put on top of him, maybe? Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, Jonathan, I'm sorry. You had to go through this, and, and certainly uh, it is some closure, as you said, for the family, so I'm sure they are very grateful uh, for that. Investigators still working on this case. They have not said yet how that body ended up out here, who killed this nurse, or just exactly what happened. An autopsy confirmed that Glenzer Solomon had been beaten with an unknown object before being strangled to death. Police continued to investigate the theft of Solomon's car, as well as his murder, when the report of another missing man was filed in Harris County, 26-year-old Ann Wynn. Harris County detectives immediately noticed several similarities between these two men and their disappearances. Both men were Asian, Glenzer Solomon was Filipino, while Ann Wynn was Vietnamese. Both men had close relationships with their family, who reported them as missing after each failed to report for work. Glenzer's sister Arlene and Ann's brother Locke both spoke with the press, asking the public for information that could help them find their missing brothers and their missing vehicles. Glenzer and Ann were each very proud of their SUVs. Glenzer's silver BMW X5 with its personalized license plate and Ann's recently purchased orange Jeep Renegade. But even more telling, both SUVs were found abandoned in close proximity to the same apartment building in Spring, Texas. Like Lenzer Solomon, Ann Wynn had also earned a degree in nursing, but he had chosen to return to school at the University of Houston's Hilton College of Hotel and Restaurant Management to pursue a second degree in hospitality. On Friday, March 31st, Ann spent the evening with his good friend and co-worker Bobby Johnson. Ann seemed to be in good spirits as he worked on a school project and made fish tacos for his friends. Around 10.30, he told Bobby that he needed to return home to finish his paper. It was only a 15-minute drive from Bobby's home at the Golden Bamboo Apartments in Willowbrook to the home Ann shared with his family, but Ann was never seen again. Co-workers and family members became concerned when Ann failed to show up the next day for a scheduled shift at Ella Eyes, an eye care center in Tombaugh. His relatives immediately knew that something was wrong. As a close-knit family who lived together and spoke every day, they could not understand this disappearance. Ann's grandmother cried each night that he failed to return home, and after he had missed his scheduled flight to Florida, where he was supposed to begin training as a flight attendant for Spirit Airlines, his family gave up hope that he would ever be found alive. A University of Houston student missing now for six days, his family in agony, but holding out hope that he will be found alive. We are speaking about on when he had a bright future and big plans making his disappearance all the more troubling. Only on 13 tonight, Eyewitness News reporter Steve Campion is live with what the student's brother and a close friend are saying about his disappearance. Steve? 
Melanie, right now these pop, uh, these flyers are popping up on the northwest side, including here. The last place that on wind was seen driving out of this apartment complex. And as Art mentioned, what makes this so strange is that he was an immigrant who was just about to interview for his dream job. You see my grandma right now, she's just crying. Inside on wind's family home, there's a sense of sadness. Where is the 27-year-old UH student? In me, you know, only me. In my feeling, I st still feeling strong that my brother still, uh, you know, somewhere. He, ne he never died yet. Or maybe somebody keep him, or maybe he's in any hospital. That's like an unidentified person. His brother Locke walks us into An's immaculately kept room. An's calendar shows he had a big paper due Saturday before a big trip to Florida. You see the interview on Sunday. Locke says An was excited to interview for a flight attendant position. His outfit was already picked out. Easy to shoot. He already repaired everything. He do is good. He just keep it in here. So his suit's ready. He's ready to go to Florida. Yeah. Everything ready. You know, you can take look at his glasses. Last week, An spent more than $500 to book his trip. A flight he never took. Six days going on. Every day that goes by, every second that goes by, he's not, there's nothing. Bobby Johnson was the last person to see on Friday night. On left Johnson's Willowbrook area apartment on his way home. He never made it there, and by Saturday morning, on never showed up for his shift at Ella Eyes in Tomball. Every day that goes by, that I don't see on or speak to him. I call his phone all the time just to hear his voice. Right now, finding the young man's 2016 four-door Jeep Renegade, which has a dent on one side, might be investigators' best lead. No one has that car very much. It's orange. You can't miss it. And as I said, on wasn't going anywhere else that night except for going home. Every day pass by is critical for us, you know. We worry a lot. You know, every night come, like, I just something feels sad. He said, no, I'm nowhere, my brother. And I can tell you this young man's family is really asking for your help tonight. Both Texas Equisearch and the Harris County Sheriff's Office are investigating this case on the news at 630. I'm going to tell you when his credit card was last used, when his Easy Pass was last used, and the person he last texted. We spoke with him. I'll tell you what he has to say. Live at 5 in Willowbrook, Steve Campion, 13 Eyewitness News. Well, An's brother Locke explained to the press that their family had immigrated from Vietnam to the United States. They saw this country as a safe place where they could study, work, and live the American dream. An's family knew that he was gay, although he did not speak openly about his sexuality. He worked hard, he had several very diverse interests, but sadly his American dream was cut short the last night he was seen, March 31, 2017. The Houston Chronicle reported that Harris County officials had located An's Jeep Renegade on Friday, April 24th, exactly two weeks after he went missing. The police would not indicate where the car was found, likely because they were continuing to pursue the connection between An Wynn and Glenzer Solomon. An's brother Locke went on to explain to the press that their family had immigrated from Vietnam to the United States. They saw this country as a safe place where they could study, work, and live the American dream. 
An's family knew that he was gay, although he did not speak openly about his sexuality. He worked hard, he had several very diverse interests, but sadly his American dream was cut short the last night he was seen, March 31, 2017. The Houston Chronicle reported that Harris County officials had located Ons Jeep Renegade on Friday, April 14th, exactly two weeks after he went missing. The police would not indicate where the car was found, likely because they were continuing to pursue the connection between An Wynn and Glenzer Solomon. Surveillance video emerged showing Brandon Lyons driving Solomon's car on the night of his disappearance. In April, police charged him with auto theft and the unauthorized use of a motor vehicle in relation to Glenzer's BMW. While Lyons was being held in Harris County Jail on these charges, police were able to search the cousin's apartment and cell phone records. A scarf that Glenzer Solomon was known to wear was found in the apartment, and Brandon's cell phone records indicated his presence at the crime scene. In August, Brandon Lyon was additionally charged with the capital murder and the bludgeoning and strangulation death of Glenzer Solomon. He remains in jail today, three years later, after being denied bail. A search of the Harris County court records shows that his cases are still pending. Police also issued an arrest warrant for Brandon's cousin, 26-year-old Jared Allen. They were able to secure surveillance video that showed Jared driving Ann's Jeep as well as withdrawing hundreds of dollars from Ann's bank account from an ATM. Allen was charged with unlawfully using Ann's credit cards. As Texas EquiSearch continued to look for Ann's body, law enforcement was having difficulty tracking down Jarrett, who was last known to have fled to El Paso following Ann's disappearance. It would take until August 13th for Jarrett Allen to be apprehended in Huma, Louisiana. But it wasn't until more than a year after his disappearance that the body of Ann Wynn was discovered in a wooded area of Whistling Pines Drive in Harris County. As of today, both cousins remain in jail awaiting trial for theft and murder. The lead investigator on these cases, Detective Mike Ritchie, explained his belief that the cousins had used the gay dating app to lure Asian men because they believed them to be easier targets. To me, this speaks to two important issues. The first is that although Brandon Lyons and Jared Allen are not being charged with hate crimes at this time, they absolutely should be. Using an app like Grindr to target gay victims shows homophobia and hatred towards the queer community. And since they specifically targeted Asian men, the cousins also showed racism and hate towards the Asian community. As I conducted the research for this episode, I was surprised that I had not heard of these cases before. I pay attention to the news, I follow news channels on social media, and I do pay special attention to cases involving the queer community. It turns out, though, very few people outside of Houston were likely aware of the circumstances surrounding the disappearance and murders of these two men. News networks rarely cover crimes against the queer community. According to Media Matters for America, 2017 was an unprecedented year for crimes against the LGBT plus community, yet across cable and broadcast news networks, these crimes were mentioned only 22 times for a cumulative total of 39 minutes and 36 seconds. And the majority of those few episodes focused specifically on two cases, the deaths of Scout Schultz and Kadari Johnson, two incidents that will likely appear as future episodes of Queerly Criminal. The National Coalition of Anti-Violence Programs recorded an 86% increase in hate crimes against our community in 2017, a fact that only seven of those 22 news episodes referenced. There were 52 murders, with the majority of these victims being trans women of color under the age of 35. With only 40 minutes of news coverage on cable and broadcast networks, the majority of these victims were never even acknowledged by mainstream media. This case was not the first to involve the use of Grindr to find and lure victims. 
In Dallas, four men were charged with using the app to target victims and commit home invasions prior to the deaths of Solomon and Wynne. Then, several months after their deaths, in December of 2017, another nine victims were lured and attacked in the same city by 19-year-old Daniel Jenkins and his accomplice, 24-year-old Michael Atkinson, in a case that is eerily similar and potentially inspired by their deaths. In England, Stephen Port committed four murders by luring gay men and killing them with fatal overdoses of GHB, while his drug dealer, Gerald Matavo, and his boyfriend, Brand Nunbar, used Grinder to lure and rob 14 victims, killing one in 2018. In the United States, one case did garner national attention, that of 25-year-old Kevin Bacon, who was killed and cannibalized in Michigan by a grinder hookup, Mark Latukski, on December 28, 2019. Earlier that year, also in Michigan, two men had been attacked, with one being killed by Demetrius Nelson, who targeted them through Grinder. The company released a statement to NBC News and stated that Grinder is, quote, deeply saddened and disturbed by the violence perpetrated adding that they are, quote, committed to creating a safe online environment for all of our users. It would be too easy and simple and unrealistic to advise my friends, queer or straight, to avoid dating and hookup apps, but we should all be very cautious with what information we are giving online and who we are meeting. Looking back on my own history with Grindr, I have put myself at risk so many times by meeting strangers and inviting them over. Some of it was being young and stupid, but I also think there was an aspect of my sexual life being hidden from my family and friends. It would be too simple and too unrealistic to advise my friends, whether queer or straight, to avoid dating and hookup apps, but I do know that we should all be very cautious with what information we are giving online and who we are meeting. Looking back at my own sordid history with Grindr, I know that I have put myself at risk many times meeting strangers and inviting them over. Some of it was because I was young and stupid, but I also think there was an aspect of my sexual life being hidden from my family and friends that made me reckless. I didn't feel that I was able to engage in a public relationship, so at times I was desperate for gay interaction and intimacy. And feeling desperate for anything leads us to impulsive and unsafe decisions. I am lucky that nothing ever happened to me. But Glenzer and Ann were not so fortunate, and I empathize with them each, because both seemed to hide their sexuality. With Glenzer, not one of his family or friends discussed his sexual identity in the several interviews they gave with police and reporters. And although Ann's brother knew he was gay, they did not speak openly about his sexuality. I think the best advice for those of us still using dating apps is to be open and to be cautious. The New York City Anti-Violence Program suggests several tips to stay safe during online dates and hookups. I will paraphrase the tips that I think make the most sense. Number one, be open, basically. Tell at least one person of your plans who you are meeting, where you will be, and when you will be in contact to check in. Two, be tech smart. When you tell your friend, include screenshots of your date, their profile, and any important messages like an address. Had Glenzer sent a record of his meeting to just one friend, the police would have been able to arrest Brandon and possibly Jarrett before they had time to go on and murder on a month later. Number three, meet outside or in public at first until you feel comfortable enough to go indoors. Four, discuss your boundaries. The article meant to set sexual boundaries and comfort levels, but would it be wrong to tell someone that you won't be bringing your wallet for a meetup? Would that prevent a potential burglary? Five, trust your instincts. If you feel the slightest bit unsafe, walk away. 
you have the right to change your mind or to say no. I have done this on a few occasions. When a person's profile picture didn't match or represent the person I met, when I realized there wasn't chemistry or where I felt unsafe. I am not embarrassed to say that at least twice I left without explaining myself. I just picked up my shoes and keys and hightailed it out the door. Six, document any instances where you felt threatened with the police. If they embarrass you or try to intimidate you, take their names and badges and ask to speak to a female police officer or a supervisor. Detective Mike Ritchie believed that there were probably other victims of Brandon Lyons and Jared Allen. There were likely men that got away with their lives after a robbery or an assault before the cousins escalated to violence. If those victims existed and had they come forward and forced the police to take their statements and look into their assailants, Glunder and Ahn might be alive today. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Queerly Criminal. Please subscribe for future episodes into crime and criminals connected to the queer community. And while you are there, check out the lighter and more fun mini-episodes where you will get to know me, your host, Jeremy Wayne, a little better.